Well, I had a business mentor that told me that decisions shouldn't be made in a vacuum, meaning that you shouldn't make plans or judgments without getting all the information and <laughs> considering how it affected the other things and other people around it. And uh, I have a wife, it doesn't really relate, but she told me that I don't even know what a vacuum is. And I don't think she meant the same thing, and if I were to speak to my mentor, his advice would be just figure out what she means and better just do it, whatever that may be. But my mentor, his name was Gary Gibson. He was a college professor of mine, and he also operated a successful HR consulting firm, and I ended up working for him my senior year in college as an intern. And he, of course, wasn't referring to a literal vacuum, which was the absence of air, rather an absence of some of the most basic things that you need to have in order to accomplish whatever it is to be done. You shouldn't make a decision in a vacuum, meant you should have all the information you need, and you need to be, to be keenly aware of how that decision will affect everything else. You can't operate well, if at all, in the absence of what you need. So this morning I want to talk about operating in the absence, just in general. An absence of spiritual and scriptural things. What it means to operate in the absence of God. You say, wait, what? God's omnipotent and omnipresent. You tell us that every week. He's everywhere. And he is. And scripture does that. Jeremiah 23, 24 says, Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? Proverbs 15, 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. But also, Scripture tells us that God is good and pure. Matthew 5, 48. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I love that. That is so much about changing our perspective to be God's perspective, and that will get you through some really tough times. But it says that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. It says God is good and acceptable and perfect. Psalm 18.30, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. So he is everywhere. He can be everywhere, but he's perfect. And he's sinless. And because he is such, he cannot by his very nature do or go or associate with sin. So there are times and places that experience an absence of God. It's hard to believe, but it's, it's true. There are places that you will not find God, and I won't name them, but we're going to talk about them. The Bible speaks clearly of these times and places, and we too have given them names and identified them. But let's take a few, look at a few situations that experience an absence of God, what it means to operate it in them. There'll be a couple slides. First, we have darkness. Okay? Whether the Bible is speaking metaphorically or literally about light or the light, darkness is simply the absence of a light source. Darkness wasn't created by God. It was overcome by God with light. In fact, it was one of the first things that God did for us. All the way back to Genesis 1, verse 2, the very second statement in the Bible, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. John 1.5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. One more from 1 John 1.5.7, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, 
and in him is no darkness at all. If, so, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. So that's something we've been talking about the last couple Bible studies. The book is called Just Enough Light for the Step I'm On. And we're really studying this metaphor of God being the light. I'm going to grab something out of my backpack for my next example. You guys seen that tack light commercial on TV? I mean, you can freeze it, drop it from a helicopter. I don't buy into that, but I bought something like it. Um, and you probably will see this Friday evenings as I find my way down to the well house and try to scare off every creature lurking in the bushes, all the birds and creepy little creatures. But this is, I love this flashlight. I mean, you can make it, you can focus it, you can um, do that with it. It has a big work light turn red in case you're in a submarine. I don't know. It does all kinds of crazy things. It's really neat. And as cool as this is with all those neat features, even magnetic so you can stick it on things and it'll, it'll stick, it will not create darkness. There is no dark light, okay? You can't turn on a device that creates darkness because darkness itself can't be created. It's only the absence of light. So when the sun is on the other side of the earth, or when clouds obscure it, when eclipse of the moon covers it, and when, when I place my hand over the flashlight, or when we are conducting ourselves outside the lives of God's, or we're conducting our lives outside of God's will, or simply because we've excluded him, we experience a darkness that exists because of the absence of light. Likewise, evil is the absence of good. Evil wasn't created by God, it is the absence of God. Scripture tells us that God is good and describes his good character. In Galatians 5, 23 talks about the fruits of the spirits. We read this often. They are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and that one we all dread, self-control, right? Colossians 3, 12-15, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now, can we agree these are all great traits? Peace and love and compassion and self-control, humility, kindness, meekness. They're all wonderful traits. They're all good traits. And when we think of someone that we know has done good or they are a good person, they're typically reflecting one or more of these traits. And evil? Well, that would be the opposite or just the absence of these things. One of the greatest dangers to believers is how to respond to evil versus good. Scripture repeatedly gives us the same warning, Romans 12, 17. Never pay back evil for evil, to anyone's respect what is right in the sight of all men. First Thessalonians 5, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. And one more, 1 Peter 3, 9, 
not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you are called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Do you hear this repeated warning? Do not return evil. Do not get even with or judge or condemn another person or their actions. These two are contrary to God's character and thus are evil. So what are we supposed to do in the face of evil or when we're wronged? Matthew 5.39 says, But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, you've heard this, turn the other cheek to him also. Literally? I doubt that. I mean, possibly. But the message is still clear. Better subject yourself to a second poke than to lower yourself to the same behavior. Better to meet them with goodness and righteousness than to return evil for evil, which we've heard multiple times is not what we're called to do. You see, we have a just father who does all, he does see all, and he will pass judgment in his way and in his time. In fact, he'll be much more fair in whatever capacity that needs to be than we could ever be. Proverbs 20, 20 says, do not say I will repay evil. It says, wait for the Lord and he will save you. Let God handle it. Now, I don't always remember to do this, but if you really want to get under someone's skin, I shared this this morning, especially if they're attacking you verbally, don't engage. Whether ignore them, agree, or simply smile, and my secret word is that's ridiculous. You know, if someone's trying to confront you verbally and, and won't relent, they just, want the, uh, they just want the conflict. Don't return evil for evil. Let's go to the next one. Heaven versus hell, and I'm moving through these fairly quickly. Heaven is filled with God's presence. Okay? God is in heaven. That's where we go, and we have an eternity with him. Hell is the void of God's presence. We all have a preconceived notion of hell. We may even think or say that our jobs or war or babysitting more than one child at a time is hell. But let's read what the Bible says about it. Revelation 21.8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars... They, are, they will all be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Fiery lake of burning sulfur. That's part of the image we get. And a second death, because we're killed once, and then our spirit lives on. But he's saying that's a second death. Matthew 25, 46. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Psalm 9, 7. The wicked go down to the realm of the dead, all of the nations that forget God. Matthew 13, 15, and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing and teeth. And that's a horrible image for me, not just the, the blazing heat, but the weeping and the gnashing teeth, just pure misery. Matthew 25, 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, we don't talk about this very often, but you know that Satan, the devil, is an angel. He was a fallen angel. He envied God's power and was cast away. He exists in the absence of God. He worked contrary to God and still does. And that's why he resides where God is not, in the darkness, in hell, not in heaven. 2 Thessalonians 1.9, They will be punished with everlasting destructions and shut out of the presence of the Lord from his glory and of his mind. It is the absence of God. But heaven can be wherever God is. Hell is anywhere that he is not. Now I'm going to move rather swiftly through the next couple because they are each kind of a topic or Bible study in and of themselves. In fact, 
This first one is one we're currently studying at 8.30, and that is the absence of faith is fear. When we, are, when we unwaveringly believe that God is in absolute control of our lives and the things in it, we have nothing to fear. I'm not saying that even though we're aware that God is in absolute control of other things in our lives, we don't worry and we have fear, but there is nothing to fear. There's no founding in that because God is in control. That's not to say there aren't things to dislike or not to look forward to, but faith, like light, drives out fear. The next one, the absence of grace is anger. When we follow God's example and teachings on extending grace to one another, anger cannot exist. When we transform, when we renew our mind by the transforming of our views, like we read in Romans, and we look at each other through God's eyes and how God sees someone, we cannot be angry at them. When we are prepared to forgive, even when forgiveness has not been requested by that person, okay, we extend a grace that frees us from that anger. 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And next, the absence of acceptance is hurt. This is what I had to think about for a minute. When we experience a lack of acceptance from the people around us, we're hurt. It hurts our feelings. We feel rejected. And the core of so many of our emotional struggles stem from a deep sense of fear of rejection. You may need to think on that one for a while. But through some study and self-awareness with help of professional counselors, I found this to be true of myself. The most things that hurt me were either an unfounded or a fear or maybe an actual rejection of someone that I held in such high regard, whether they should or shouldn't have. It hurts when people let you down. The best tool to overcome her is to know that you, uh, to know and also to truly understand what acceptance means and that you are absolutely accepted by God your Father. He may not be able to accept all the things you are doing or have done, but he loves you and accepts you. Now how is that for shining light in a dark corner of your mind? This next slide simply reads, God versus the world. And I'm not saying that God hates the earth and wants to destroy it again, because he did that once and promised never to do it again, and that's the story of Noah. And I'm not even certain that the world as a whole is against God, although there are those who are extremely vocal in the name of civil liberties and their understanding for freedom's sake. It can make you wonder if society isn't turning away from, but also maybe even turning against God. I'm hopeful that these are just a vocal minority. And I hope that they're not an indication of mankind's current views or understanding of the one true God of us all. But what I am saying is that God and the world regularly and frequently compete for your time, your attention, and your priorities. Matthew 6.24 says it this way, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. This first goes on to use an example of money. And as we talk about every Sunday, money is an example and makes a statement of your faith and priorities. It does. It's not that God needs $20 from you every week on, on the dollar, on the dot, but, but he loves to see that that went here instead of there. Use it for this, not that. That you trust him with this when you could really use it for that, even if that isn't such a bad thing. But let me read this first again. Again, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. There's an absoluteness in the statement that reflects this morning's message premise. You can only operate on one of the two sides. Either you're in God's presence, or you take your chances in his absence. 
And my hope for you is that you respond just like Joshua did, Joshua 24, 15. And it says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And once you've made this decision, then the words of today's scripture to remember will have greater meaning. And I'm going to read them again right now. You used to be like people living in the dark, but now you are people of the light because you belong to the Lord. So act like people of the light. So friends, neighbors, people of the light, we can defeat darkness by making sure that the light is everywhere through us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for all you do for us. Thank you for the light that you are, the light that you sent to this world and the light you've placed within us. Thank you for modeling the example of good so we know what to strive for. God, thank you for the model of patience. Thank you for giving us something to have a true faith in. Thank you for defeating death and defeating the world. Thank you for that hope. God, even we who believe at times struggle with some basic things. We ask for your ongoing patience and grace to us, your forgiveness, as we step back into the light, as we are, as we found to be called out to be pulled in. God, let us operate not in your absence, but in your glory in all we do. Help us to recognize the difference between the one true light and the lights that distract. Help us to set priorities on the things above and to look at the world and each other through your eyes with love and acceptance and compassion. God, I thank you, as always, for this wonderful place to come and meet you. We know you're always here, and we know you leave with us. God, help us to stay on the path so that you're continuing to be with us no matter where we go. As always, I pray for the empty places in the pews this week, that you fill them with people that are seeking you. God, my prayer is that everyone finds a church where they can worship and praise and learn and, and just socialize and have fellowship with other believers, whether it's this church or a church down the road. God, I thank you for the opportunities you're going to present to us this week and help us to recognize them and invite them. Again, I thank you for all that you do, the prayers you answer, the prayers that you will be answering, and the hope we can have in that. Amen.